You are about to embark on a journey. A journey where your worst fears become reality. A journey where hell is not below us, but amongst us. Don't be afraid, relax, and take a seat while I open the box of horrors. Good afternoon, horror story junkies, and welcome back to another episode of Box of Horrors. My name is Israel Johnson, and I am your host. Today we're going to be reading a story by Brian Evanson. It's titled, The Moans. I'll be honest, I have no idea what this story is about. I tried to look up a summary of this story online, but I couldn't find anything at all. But I looked at the first sentence, and it looks like it's going to be possibly some type of ghost story. So, hope you guys are excited as I am. Let's go ahead and jump right into this story. See you guys at the end. At first, everyone told him the back porch was haunted and invited him to throw his rucksack in one of the other rooms, share an already shared bed, or curl up on the floor. But when he pressed them, they said, well, no, not haunted exactly. Not haunted all the time, anyway. You only felt it was haunted when you were flying. Flying, he asked, thinking his English must not be as good as he thought. Tripping, said the woman whose name was Hannah, but who called herself Little God stoned. Ah, yes, he had learned those slang terms. He understood. Flying was the same. But in that case, he would be okay. He would not be haunted, for he was here to observe the community, to be in it for a time, but not part of it. And he was a teetotaler. A what? whispered little god smoke curling out of the corners of her mouth. Was it the wrong word? Whatever, man, she said, it's all good. It was all good for now. He had a room to himself, or something like a room, since the way they had nailed up the scrap lumber to close off the porch still allowed the wind to whistle in. He bought a lamp, from the thrift store down the street and ran in an extension cord. There was half a mattress in the porch room and if he put his rucksack at the bottom just right, he could sleep comfortably. There was a stack of broken chairs that summer or Fawnstar, could that possibly be her name? Anyone's name, a name someone had actually chosen claimed to be planning to repair but never looked at. Other than that, there was just him. During the day, he moved through the collective and observed. At first, he made notes on what everyone was doing, but then the man called Big Dig told him no. It wasn't cool. Observation could mess with their rhythm. That you start writing things down and they change. Recording something changes it. So he stopped taking notes. He just watched and then later on the porch 
he would write down what he could remember, whatever he thought might be important. And Big Dig was right. Before everybody had been playing to him and his notepad, now that he wasn't taking notes, after a while, everybody just kind of ignored him. They bumped and jostled around him, passed the pipe right past him, reached around him for a glass or a plate. It was as if he wasn't there, as if he was a ghost, which was funny in a way, considering he was living in the haunted room, in the community, but not part of the community. He thought he liked it. It was like being alive and dead at the same time, or being alive but being the only one who knew you were. He got so used to them not noticing that it was a surprise when suddenly one did. It was little God, sitting cross-legged on the floor. She was stoned, even more so than usual. Her dull eyes swept past him and then swept back, made an effort to focus as if seeing him for the first time, as if he was difficult to see. You're still here, she said. I thought you'd left. Yes, he claimed he was. Still writing about us, she asked. Yes, he admitted. Though in a way, he wasn't anymore. Had stopped recording much of anything in his notebook. He was still there, but wasn't sure what exactly he was doing now. Little God nodded. She turned and stretched backwards grabbed a sheet of pink paper covered with a series of blurred blotted red images from behind her. She tore a square of the sheet off and handed it to him. But even looking at one of the images up close, he wasn't sure what it was. It was a face, maybe. Maybe human, maybe not. Thank you, no. He said and pushed the square back toward her. But little God just shook her head. And when he kept his hand held out, she lazily reached out with both her own. With one, she took the square. With the other, she reached out as if in slow motion and touched his lips, parting them with her fingertips. He let her do it and let her, a moment later, place the paper on his tongue. It tasted slightly bitter, but only slightly. She kept her finger there, just inside his mouth. Just hold it there, she said. Don't swallow it. And when he nodded, she slowly withdrew the finger. Maybe it was a defective tab, because nothing was happening. Just wait, little God said. It'll come. But it didn't come. How much time went by? It felt like a lot of time, hours perhaps, but the hands on the clock hadn't seemed to move much. What time had it been when she gave him the tab? He couldn't remember, but every time he looked at the clock, the hands seemed to be in the same place. Where are you going? Little God asked. What? He hadn't been aware he was going anywhere, but yes, it looked as if he was on his feet. He was so concerned about 
what would happen once the drug started working that he wasn't paying attention really. He was anxious. He needed to stop being anxious since the drug wasn't working. It was a defective batch or his tab hadn't gotten painted properly. If that was how they got the acid on it. How was he supposed to know how they got the acid on it? He wasn't an expert. He never claimed to be. A voice was calling from behind him, and it took him a moment to realize it was little God. Where are you going? She was calling out, or rather had called out. It was hard to know if it was happening or already had happened. And there was his own voice coming from a place where he knew his body not to be. Who had gotten hold of his voice? To my room, the voice said from behind him. And yes, that made sense, because his body already was there, already in the porch room, waiting for the voice to catch up. Once there, once around his familiar things, everything seemed fine again, normal. Yes, that was all he needed, some time to himself. He just imagined everything. Nothing was really happening. He was just fine. He picked up a book, began to flip through it. For a moment, the letters had a startling crispness and clarity, then they began to pulse slightly. When I have killed, he read, I make a pile of stones, a cairn, and I set in my memory who it was, what it was died there and how. My mind is shaped like a map of these cairns. Excuse me, he thought. What book was this? He tried to turn it over to look at the title, but no matter how he turned the book, he couldn't see the cover. And when he turned the page of the book, it was still the same page and the same words. And somehow he knew they were words of a book that hadn't been written yet that what he was reading wasn't a book or not yet a book, but that he'd plucked something out of the web of a future time without getting entangled himself, like a ghost might. And when he thought that word, ghost, he remembered that this was the room that was haunted. My mind, he thought, is shaped like a map of these cairns. What cairns? The room flickered around him. He found he couldn't move his arms, and then unexpectedly, he knew now he could, but he had to move them carefully if he was to keep them from breaking off. He moved them so slowly, it was as if they weren't moving at all. There were shapes all around him, and he moved his arms through them so slowly that he did not disperse them. They were all his own shape, and all the places his body had been in the room, a strange, fleeting rustling in the air, time overlapped and smearing together. There were other shadows too, and perhaps these were the ghosts the others had meant. But he was more frightened by being surrounded by a dozen versions of himself 
some paralyzed, some moving so fast they could barely be perceived. And there was a sound too, a moaning. That part of his mind knew he always had heard, a moaning he had thought to be caused by wind through the gaps in the walls, but now he wasn't so sure. When he brought his ear close to the outer walls, the moans weren't any louder and maybe softer. There was wind whistling through the gaps, but this moaning, moans, and not just any moans, his mind told him, but the moans. Part of him was terrified to realize this, but another part was more terrified because it wasn't sure what exactly it was that had been realized. He fell back on the half mattress. Around him the room throbbed and his own shapes circled him and the moans grew. He felt it all swirl around him, the room growing darker and darker until it seemed there was no room but only blackness and the moans. Then for one brief moment there was little God over him slapping him and big dig there beside saying, what else was in it, do you think? And the improbable Fonstar, Fonstar, rubbing his temples. He turned his head weakly to one side and wretched, but nothing came out. Then he drearily wretched again and blacked out. He awoke in the hospital, his rucksack stuffed into the space beneath the end table. Eventually the nurse came and nodded and smiled and spoke to him like this wasn't the first time they'd had a conversation. He apparently had been speaking to people, speaking for hours, or his voice had. He had, so the doctor told him, been only technically dead rather than actually dead. An important difference, the doctor claimed, especially for him. What was it that he had ingested exactly? How had he gotten to the hospital? Had he walked? Had someone dropped him off? After a few days, he felt alright. Eventually they let him leave, though he had nobody to pick him up. His rucksack had all of his possessions except for his notebook. And when he went back to the house to get it, he found the place abandoned. The porch was as it had been boarded over to form a room, same stack of broken chairs, same half mattress, but his notebook wasn't there, the rest of the house was an empty shell, mostly taken by fire, apparently a long time before, though he didn't understand how this could be. For years, he forgot about it. He wandered through the rest of his life, dabbled a little in this, a little in that, for a time he was a step away from the street. He learned to hide his accent, then learned when it was advantageous to bring it out, even exaggerate it. He published a number of articles, then a book, then another. Then suddenly it became clear that he knew just enough about any number of things for someone to decide he might be useful. He was hired to wear a suit and tie and sit in a room for eight hours a day with five other people 
considering ethical and political problems, some practical, some abstract. A question would be posed, and they would think it through, aloud until their voices were hoarse. They talked and argued, and a microphone with a green light in the center of the table recorded the discussion, and presumably someone transcribed it and it was shared with the people who had paid to have the question discussed. It was a strange profession, and sometimes he wondered if he wasn't in some very special sort of hell. And then one day, in the middle of considering the best way to warn people thousands of years from now, when perhaps language no longer even exists, that an area is dangerous, that the ground and air and water are shot through with deadly but invisible poison, he flashed. He remembered the trip, the ghosts in the room, and the moans, and all of it, despite the time past, was so vivid, so real, that for an instant he was sure he was still in the porch room, flying. My mind is shaped like a map of these cairns, he thought. The moans were terrible, and he could feel his vision tunneling down to darkness and knew he would soon black out until a hand touched his shoulder. All right? The woman next to him asked, a behavioral psychologist who often acted as if she were in charge, though whether she actually was, nobody seemed to know. The woman was looking at him with what he suspected was supposed to be relaxed calm. Though it was slightly too studied to come across that way, his vision still throbbed slightly. She looks like little God, a part of him thought. Though he knew that part of him was wrong, little God and this woman were not remotely alike. Aloud, he didn't express any of this. Aloud, he said, fine. Then he began to speak not to the woman beside him or to the rest of the group, but to the microphone with the green light on it, recording something changes it, he thought, and imagined aloud, black basalt monuments, leaning columns that would be perceived as threatening to collapse, electrical barriers somehow powered by lightning and by machinery capable of staying functional for thousands or tens of thousands of years, the slow release of noxious gases and smells, and above all, stone carved and sculpted just right, so that the instant it was touched by the slightest wind, it would begin to moan, and then he opened his mouth and let the moans lodged inside him all these years come out. Brian Evanson writes those types of stories where you have to think a little bit deep and very hard after you read it. <laughs> uh, that was a cool story. It was interesting because it was kind of like a half ghost story and half, what's the word, not science fiction um, probably like dystopia or something like that. 
I'm not sure if he was in hell or where he was at. Didn't sound like too bad of a place. I mean, he had a job and he was getting paid, so... Hmm. That one will make me think. That one will make anybody think, whoever reads that or listens to this, I guess. That's the show, so I'll see you guys next week on Box of Horrors. (laughs) Thank you.